Lord, you alone are worthy. You are wonderful to us beyond what we deserve, Lord. We just thank you for your love and your grace, for your infinite mercy. Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. Father, I pray for those who are going through difficulty. May this be a word of encouragement, Lord, to know that you're faithful, that you're in control, that you do things according to your will and not ours. And Lord, ultimately, it's for your glory, for everything that we go through, Lord. So, Father, I pray, minister to each heart that is here. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. It's good to be back on a Wednesday night. It's been a while. I heard great things while I was gone. I had to hurry up and get back so you didn't fire me. All right. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. encourage you to read the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 for Sunday. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 22 on Sunday. One quick announcement before we uh, look at the text tonight. You know, I'm not a super political guy, but there are things I'm very passionate about. And one of them is unborn children. And there is a proposition coming up next Tuesday, Proposition 73, And this will be in all the bulletins on Sunday, but I know some of you are Wednesday night only, so I wanted to at least point it out to you. And it says right down here, parents, in California, if your daughter is under 18, she can't get a flu shot, she can't go on a school field trip, and she can't be given an aspirin by the school nurse, but an older boyfriend or school employee can take your 13-year-old daughter to an abortion clinic where she can have a chemical abortion without you ever knowing about it. Well, Proposition 73 would make that impossible. It would make it, you'd have to be, again, can you imagine, you can't, they can't give your daughter an aspirin, but they can kill her child. And so that needs to change, amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you, vote yes on Proposition 73, because it's lives that are in the balance, and my my prayer would be that God would use this as a step closer to getting abortion, the murder of unborn babies outlawed, amen? Amen. But until then, we want to be, we want to make a stand for the Lord, a stand for the truth, and and again, I'm not political about a lot of things, but when it comes to babies, I've got no problem being political. All right, Joshua chapter 6. Just to catch you up really quickly, again, as we come to Joshua, this is now the, the exciting time for the children of Israel who, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, are finally entering into the land of promise. And as we've talked about repeatedly, again, that the Old Testament pictures are things that we can see that reveal to us New Testament truth. You look in the New Testament, you look at doctrinal truths, and there can be, for virtually every one of them, an Old Testament picture. And what we see in Joshua is a picture of the Spirit-filled life, a picture of a Christian who's now walking in the center of God's will, who has left the bondage of Egypt behind, crossed over the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism, has left the wilderness of wandering in their own flesh, and now, again, seeking to know God's heart completely, has crossed over the Jordan, a picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now as they've entered into the Jordan, crossed over the Jordan, as the ark went before them and the waters were parted, yet again, now the children of Israel have finally arrived, or so we would think. 
But as they enter into this long-awaited land of promise, this land flowing with milk and honey, this picture of the Spirit-filled life and experiencing all that God has for us, having already defeated some of the giants that the previous generation were afraid of, having crossed over, again, that great divide into this land flowing with milk and honey, having obeyed the Lord where the previous generation had fallen away, the temptation would be to think that now all their trials are over. The temptation would be to think, okay, they've gone through the wilderness. Okay, they've obeyed the Lord. Okay, they're walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Okay, they're in the center of God's will. Now everything's going to be perfect in life. But the truth is that the obstacles that were before them were even greater than anything that this generation had ever faced before. And the same is true for you and I. As we're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, the enemy is going to have a greater focus on us, not less of one. Here's why, you guys. Satan, as you've heard me say a hundred times, Satan's resources are limited. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He's not the opposite of God because he can't even be compared to God. He's a created being that fell out of heaven out of rebellion. If he's the opposite of anybody, he'd be the opposite of Michael the archangel. Well, since his, his resources are limited, a third of the heavenly hosts fell with him, who is he going to go after? Well, he's going to go after those who are being most effective for the kingdom of God. The lukewarm Christian is no threat to him, and the unbeliever is right where he wants him. So who is he going to go after? He's going to go after those who are on fire for the Lord. So as we walk with God and we're filled with His Spirit, get ready, because we're a greater target for the enemy. And so too, as the children of Israel passed over, they're going to go into this land of promised land flowing with milk and honey, but it's also a land of great wealth, and it's also a land filled with idolatry. So as they go in, God's heart is to prepare them to do exactly as he called them to do, which is to wipe out the enemies that were there. Now these are things that people struggle with in the Bible, and we'll talk about this more tonight. But may we learn, uh, here's my heart, when you leave here tonight, I pray that you have a greater understanding and a greater view of trials and difficulties and obstacles in our life. To realize that they're not an unfortunate occurrence that keeps us from comfort. Too often we think of trials, man, I'm going through a trial. And you know what, you're right, I mean, we're, you know, we're not, oh yeah, I'm going through a trial. I mean, it's kind of hard to do that, amen? But the point is that may we learn to realize and view them from a spiritual perspective rather than a physical one. Because from a physical perspective, they're overwhelming and they're a bummer and they're, you know, they're busting my gig and I can't relax the way I want to and, you know, it's really causing me some strife. But may we look at it from a spiritual perspective to realize it's an opportunity to grow. And it's an opportunity for God to be glorified. And guys, why do we live? We live that He might be glorified in us. Amen? And so how is He going to be glorified the most? It's through trials. That's why James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, when you fall into various trials. Difficulty is an opportunity for God to be glorified and for you to grow. You want to grow? Hold on. Lord, make me more like you. Get ready. Because every time you see someone who's being used mildly by God in His Word, it's somebody who goes through great difficulty. We're going to see that trials and difficulty are sovereignly ordained. That big word just to mean that God is in control and He put Him in our path for a reason. There are opportunities to grow, to grow in faith, to grow in desperation, to grow in dependence for Almighty God and to allow others to see Him in our lives. Throughout God's Word, we see again, as I said, men of great faith. And there were always obstacles in their way. Always. Everybody God used mightily 
Nobody was on the cruise ship to heaven that, that God used mightily. Amen? And we, we want to think that, well, if I'm free of struggles and free of strife, then I must be walking in the sinner of God's will. I want to tell you something. If you're free of struggle and free of strife, you must be outside of God's will. Because the enemy doesn't feel threatened by you. And I'm not saying for the moment, but ever. If your life is just perfect all the time, then I would be concerned about where your walk is with the Lord. Because those who are called will face difficulty. This is where our our faith grows and we can be impacted for a lifetime. When we see an impossible obstacle and we we feel ill-equipped to overcome it, and then we have to totally trust God. That's a great place to be. Some examples of that. Moses, the stuttering shepherd. And God said, I want you to go down and face the Egyptian armies and face the Pharaoh and set my people free. What are you talking about? You must be out of your mind. You got the wrong guy. I got a stick in my hand. They got chariots and swords and spears. And there's tens of thousands of them. There's one of me. How in the world can I do it? If God is for me, who can be against me? David. This guy was a teenager with a slingshot and a rock. Goliath, 11 foot, 750 pounds, yoked a warrior. And you know, most people don't even realize this. He had an armor bearer with him. He was two against one. One guy's 11 foot, 750. He's got an armor bearer that no doubt is bigger than David. His, his spear, the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. This guy was yoked. And from the world's perspective, you would think, how in the world can little runty David with a rock fight a guy covered in armor with an armor bearer who's who's the champion of all of the Philistines? If God is for me, who can be against me? Those obstacles are put there as an opportunity to grow and an opportunity for God to be glorified. Let me ask you a question. When David slayed Goliath, what happened to the rest of Israel? They were fired up. Their faith grew. They, all of a sudden, they were real brave. And it's amazing how that works. And so the point is that God puts obstacles in our life for a reason. Gideon and his 300 mighty men finding, fighting a, a, an army of Midianites with some Amalekites as well that it says in the Bible are as numerous as locusts. Now, why does God do this? Why doesn't God just make it fair? Why does, it, why does an even number of people on both sides? Why does God make me go through, allow me... Have me go through difficulty. Because if, if the size of the armies were the same, then we might think it was us that did it. You know, if Goliath was 11 foot 750 and David was 11 foot 750, we wouldn't be writing about it in the Bible. So what? About the same size. David was a better warrior. Good for him. But when God moves, God is glorified. And when God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, then God's lifted up. And so these are opportunities for us to draw closer to the Lord, opportunities for us to realize how desperately we need Him, opportunities for His name to be glorified. These men of God trusted God even when it didn't make sense. They knew their frailties. They saw the greatness of the the seemingly unbeatable obstacle before them, and they trusted God anyway. And that's the kind of person that God wants to use. God delights in using somebody who seems, again, looks at what are seemingly foolish methods because God's way doesn't always make sense to us to defeat the enemy because he wants to bring glory to his name. He's looking for those who are frail. He's looking for those who are weak. He's looking for those who are desperate. That's who God's looking for. God doesn't need mighty warriors. He is the mighty warrior. 
And you know what? We can become mighty in Him, but it's in our weakness that we are made strong. So I titled the message tonight, Overcoming Great Obstacles. Overcoming Great Obstacles, because now they're in the land. Now they've entered in, and the first thing they run into is a great obstacle. If you take notes, seven points quickly. How do we overcome great obstacles? Number one, by getting your marching orders directly from God. Get your marching orders directly from God. Not from the world, not from your own intellect, not from your own thought process, but get them from God. Share what God has shown you with others. When God reveals truth to you, share it with others. When God's put a calling on your life, let other people know it. So you can be held accountable. And so you can share with them what God is doing. Then you need to put feet to your faith. That's number three. You know what? It's, it's not enough to know God up here. We need to put it into action down here. Amen? Too often we know all about God. And people are, I'm a biblical scholar. And I mean biblical scholars. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Well, I don't have time. I'm studying. <laughs> the Great Commission is to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? And if you've got all the head knowledge in the world and you're not putting feet to your faith or you're waiting for your calling. I know people that have been waiting to identify their calling for 20 years. You're here, you're saved, you're called. Period. God didn't save you to be a pew potato. Amen? He didn't save you to be the biggest, fattest fed sheep in town. Right? I mean, just big and fat. The dead sea's dead. It's all inlet, no outlet. Let's take what we're fed here and use it for the kingdom of God. Put feet to our faith. Number four, remain faithful even when it doesn't make sense. And that's often, isn't it? God tells us stuff. We see it in the Bible. We look at our checkbook. He promises to provide, but it doesn't make sense. Trust God. He's faithful. Give God the glory when the obstacle is removed. When, when that triumph happens, make sure that God's glorified and not you. Well, I got out of it because I spent about 47 hours on my knees fasting and praying. And so because I'm such a warrior, prayer warrior, and I've you know, got camel knees now, uh, that's why I was delivered. No, you, no, it was God, amen? And Him alone be glorified. And trust that God will do what is right. God will always do what is right. We're going to see at the end of this chapter. God is faithful, God is righteous, He is holy, He is perfect, and He will always do what is right. So we give Him the glory, we trust Him to do what is right. And then lastly, the last point of the message tonight, is we're going to see both curses and blessings that come in the midst of trials and difficulty. It all depends on how we deal with it, how we turn in the midst of it. So let's begin looking at overcoming great obstacles. Number one, getting your marching orders directly from God. Receiving your instructions from the Word of God, not the will of man, not your own thoughts, not your own desires, but God's will. Look at verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Now, this is interesting because it's been a few weeks since we looked at this. I was in India for the last couple of Wednesdays. But the way the last chapter ended is that orders had been given, were being given by the Lord directly to Joshua. We'll see this in verse 2. But in the meantime, we had heard earlier from Rahab when the spies went in to Jericho that the people in Jericho were afraid of the children of Israel. They were shaking in their boots. Now this is hysterical because Jericho was probably the greatest fortress 
in the world at the time. Or one of them anyway. Certainly the greatest fortress in all of Canaan. By the way, it doesn't make a whole lot of military sense that the first thing you do is go after the strongest fortress. You usually pick off the weakest ones first and build your way up. No, that's not how God does stuff. They went right into the biggest, greatest foe they could possibly have right off the bat. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jericho. It was built a thousand years before Joshua was born. It was one of the oldest and most fortified cities in the world. The walls were at least 25 feet tall and 20 feet thick. People lived inside the walls, including Rahab. You could have an entire house inside the wall. These were big walls. This was not a, you know, Fort Apache that was going to fall down. These were not a bunch of sticks, you know, buried in the ground. This is a massive fortress, Jericho. Soldiers would stand guard on top of the wall. They could see for miles. There were iron bars and bars of brass and iron doors that all held the wall together. And so everything was solid. And it says here, these guys who are from a position of strength from the world's perspective, the ones with the big fortress, the ones with the military power, are hiding. They got the door shut. Maybe it'll go away. They were afraid of God's people. The symbol of military power, again, they thought that this fortress was invincible. It was the Goliath of fortresses. And they thought they could not possibly lose. But you know what? They'd been hearing about the children of Israel. They'd been hearing about what God had been doing in their lives. And because they heard about their testimony, they were scared spitless. Now it's interesting. Rahab had told them, man, they heard about you guys getting out of Egypt. And they heard about the parting of the Red Sea. And they heard about you defeating the great armies on the east of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, and the giants who were there. And they've heard about all that you've done and how God is with you. And you know what? The people are scared of you now. This is a fulfillment of the promise in Exodus 23. Verse 27, it says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. The Canaanites were very aware of God's, who God's people were and what they were up to. And it struck fear into their hearts. I read this quote recently. It is said that Mary, Queen of Scots, feared John Knox's prayers more than she feared any enemy army. She knew he was a godly man and she knew he prayed and she was more scared of what he was praying than she was of any enemy army. Is the world today afraid of God's people? Are they fearful of what we're doing, what God's doing in us? The answer is no, because we've done little to display the power of God to a lost and dying world. In fact, the church is so much like the world that the world takes little notice of what we do. We imitate the world's methods, we cater to the world's appetites, we solicit the world's approval, and we measure success by worldly standards, and then we wonder why we're not impacting the world. You know what, churches today, that's the biggest movement going, the seeker-sensitive movement. Make sure that we fit into the world. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't want to fit into the world. We're not to fit into the world. People were not attracted to Jesus Christ because he was like the world. And we're not to be like the world. We're not to water down the gospel so as not to offend. The Christ of Christ is a stone of offense, the Bible says. And so they were scared. Why? Because they saw God's hand on them. The people of Canaan said, man, we got a mighty fortress, we got a mighty armor, but their God is greater than us. 
And you know what? We, if we live by that kind of faith today, you know what? I don't think we'd even have to worry about getting Supreme Court justices on our side. I think people be worried about what we were praying about. Man, when they pray, stuff happens. We better get on their side. Amen? And you know what? May we be bolder in our faith and may we trust more in the Lord. And it says there in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, you got to love this. This is a continuation of the conversation at the end of the last chapter. Look at chapter 5. Let me read verses 13 to 15 through you, for you. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or our adversaries? So he said, No. That wasn't even a yes or no question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. Who's this speaking? It's Jesus. It's Jesus hundreds of years before he came to earth. He says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Here's what he's saying. I'm not on your side or their side. The question is, are you on my side? Jesus is the one who's in charge. He's the one who's in control. We're either for him or we're against him. We don't try to get him on our side. We need to get on his side. And that's the point he's making here to Joshua. And Joshua, look what it says here. And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? That's exactly what we ought to do when we run into Jesus. Fall on our face, worship him, honor him, lift up our voices unto him. Now I love this because then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take the sandal off your feet for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Just like what happened with Moses when he was talking to God in the burning bush. Now, I love the fact that he's talking to God in the burning bush and now we talk to Jesus and in both cases you're standing on holy ground because they're both God. Now, this is God continuing to talk. Now one side note, I love that he appears to Joshua, who was a warrior, as the commander-in-chief. Joshua is a warrior. He appears to him as a commander in the army. Abraham was a pilgrim, right? Traveling. And the Lord appeared to him as a traveler. Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness, and the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. Now, to me, I love this because it tells me that God appeared to them in a way that was relatable to the one he was speaking to. What's this a forerunner of? Jesus Christ. God didn't send a, you know, God, God didn't come as a, a star. You know, he didn't come to earth as an animal. He came to earth as a man. That we might relate to him. And I love that, J that Joshua fell on his face. And this is proof to me beyond a shadow of the doubt that this is Jesus Christ. Because no angel would receive worship. No man would receive worship. You try to worship an angel, they say, get up. Don't worship me. Don't, don't kiss a man's ring, you guys. Amen. Amen. Don't bow to a man. Don't kiss a man's ring. We, we honor and praise and worship and magnify one. Jesus Christ. He's the only one we worship. He's the only one we praise. He's the only one we honor. So it says, the Lord said to Joshua. Now when you know who's speaking, it changes the value of the words that are spoken. Somebody else can say to you, I'm going to do this. Yeah, all right. You know some people, right, that, that say stuff to you that their words are worth about a quarter, right? They say stuff to you. and it, Now when God says something, that's it. Good is done. Now look what the Lord says. I have given Jericho into your hand. 
Now, they're outside of Jericho. They're about a mile away. They're looking at this huge fortress. It's closed up. There's guards on top of it. They don't have the military force to get to, get to them. They don't even have the, the type of weapons that would be necessary. They're outnumbered. They're outmanned. And you know what? God says, don't worry about it. I take care of it already. If God is for us, who can be against us? And in God's eyes, it was already done. Now, why did the Lord come and speak to Joshua at this strategic time? Because he's going to tell Joshua to do something that unless God told you to do it, you would think is the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life. The Lord had to show up because this plan didn't make any sense from the world's perspective. And sometimes God's going to tell you to do stuff that doesn't make any sense from the world's perspective. The world's going to think you're out of your mind. You want to do what? You want to quit your job and be a full-time... Are you out of your mind? I've had that conversation with people. But here's the thing. For there to be victory, Joshua needed to understand that the, battles was, the battle belonged to the Lord, not to him. What we need to understand when we face trials and difficulty and obstacles in our life is the battle belongs to the Lord, not to us. He's the one who's going before us. He's the one. You know why David could defeat Goliath? He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a teenage boy. He saw a puny man against Almighty God. And then he said, oh, no problem. You're toast. God's going to take care of you. Birds are going to be picking at your dead carcass before we're done. That's what David said. That's paraphrased, but that's pretty much what he said. And that's exactly what happened. The battle had already been won. We do not fight for victory but we fight from victory. The battle's been won. Read your Bible. I've read all of it. We win. Amen? Amen? So the point is that often we walk around defeated. We walk around looking at the obstacles. We think they're overwhelming, but we're forgetting who our God is. We're forgetting how great He is. Can I tell you something? One thing I would love to bring back from India is the faith of those people. You know, we have prayer at the end of church here. We'll have 250 people here, whatever it is, on Sunday. And three people will come up for prayer. In India, there's 50 people, and prayer afterwards, 50 people come up for prayer. Why? Because they believe it. They believe God can do it. And you know what's awesome? Is I prayed for several people, and it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. And the pastor got on a train and came two and a half hours to the next city where we were to let me know this person, this person, this person, and this person all were healed after you prayed for them. Now, they believe it. They believe that God can do it. Can our, does our God still heal people today? Our God absolutely does. And too often we, oh, well, maybe not, man, you know. I haven't seen it. Uh, you know, I'll pray for a cold and I'll probably be better in four or five days and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> we'll trust God for a headache, but we won't pray. Or we'll take aspirin and we'll do four other things. And then if, if our headache doesn't go away, then we pray. Maybe we ought to pray first. Pray first. Tylenol is okay, but I think prayer is better. Amen? Let's ask God to move. And so we see here that we're fighting a spiritual battle. It's not a physical one. I've given Jericho into your hand. It already belongs to you. It's a done deal. I'm going to bring down the strongholds. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual for bringing down strongholds. I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king and it's mighty men of value. Valor. You know what? I have, I've got the city taken care of. I've got the king taken care of. I've got the army taken care of. I've already taken care of. It's a done deal. I've said it. It's going to happen. Trust me. 
verse 3. You shall march. Now, let me tell you how you're going to do it. Let me tell you how you're going to do it. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. Now, if God's not speaking, you think this is the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life. I want you to march around the outside of the wall for six days. This makes no sense militarily. This requires total dependence upon God to follow this program. Remember, there's guys standing on top of the, of the wall. You're marching by. This is not a position of strength. They can throw stuff at you. They can drop animals on your head. They can pour boiling oil on I don't know what they had, but the point is, it takes a lot of faith to go, okay, I'm just going to march around the outside of this massive fortress. That's what I want you guys to do. You know what? Trusting God when it doesn't make sense, that's faith. Doesn't make sense to me. I don't quite grasp all of it. But believing God's word in spite of their circumstances, this is where real growth takes place. It's where you say, God, I don't get it, but I trust you. Lord, I don't understand how you're going to do this, but I know that you're going to. So, Lord, I'm going to obey you. Men of war, this is every man over the age of 20, march around the city once a day for six days. You know what else this did? Can you imagine? We're going to see in a couple of verses, they're not allowed to say anything. So they're walking around this massive city with 25-foot-tall walls, 20 feet wide, walking by iron bars, walking by iron doors with brass bars across them to, to solidify their strength. And they're walking by this thing all day long for six days straight. You know what they're seeing? Wow. This is an awesome fortress. This is overwhelming. They got a good look up close at how great their obstacle really was. And you know what else? They had to face this trial for days on end. Keeps us humble. Keeps us desperate. Again, a place of real growth. Sometimes we wonder why we pray and God doesn't answer for a while. You know what? We pray in our time, God answers in His time. And sometimes He wants us to see just how great the obstacle is so we can realize how great He is when He takes care of it. He wants us to see exactly how, whoa, six days of walking around looking at the ceiling. Wow, there's no way. How in the world are we going to overcome this? Verse 4 and 5. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Now, this is not being spoken to the people yet. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. So Joshua is being given the orders from the Lord, and Joshua is now going to have to go and deliver these orders to the people. Now, when God's telling you, sounds pretty good. All right, you're God. You can do anything. Now, i got to go tell people this. They're going to go, we thought Moses was dumb. <laughs> you know, we always murmured against Moses, you know, because we didn't have water or, you know, whatever. You know, but, you know, when he talked to God, the whole mountain shook. Now you're telling us to do what? 
It takes a great deal of faith to listen to what God tells you and to do it and then also to share it with others. It takes faith to say, this is what God said, this is what we're going to do. You know what? A test of faithful obedience is to, te- is it to trust God when it doesn't make sense. Noah, by faith, built a boat when it had never rained before. 120 years building the biggest boat you could ever see by himself. Maybe his sons helped him. But he built this boat. Can you imagine the ridicule? 120 years of building the boat in a place where it had never rained before, where there's nothing but godless people in total rebellion against the Lord. And he just kept building it. That's faith, amen? That's not worried about what people say. God told me I'm doing it. I know it doesn't make sense. Water falling out of the sky, that doesn't make any sense. But if God said it, then I trust him. Abraham, by faith, went out not knowing where he was going. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so Joshua now is going to have to have faith to deliver this message to the people that doesn't make sense. And the people are going to have to have faith to listen to Joshua's words and follow it. It requires faith for you and I today to trust God at His word in the face of great trials and difficulties and obstacles. But you know what? If you trust God, you'll never be disappointed. If you trust in men, you're going to be disappointed most of the time. Overcoming great obstacles. Get your marching orders from, the God, from God. Trust God's word. Fight from victory. The battle's been won. God's in control. We already won. It's not a war when it's already been won. You just show up. And that's what God's telling them. Just show up. I've taken care of it. Not only that, share what God has shown you with others. So now the word's been delivered to Joshua. Now Joshua could say, but God, I don't think... I'm new. I'm the new leader. If I go tell them this, they're going to fire me. They wanted to go back to leek and onions when you were shaking, the, you know, and you were in our presence and the cloud was there. And now the cloud's gone. There's no more manna. They're going to say, man, well, you know, we don't have food falling out of the sky anymore. And now you want us to march around on the outside of a fortress where people can throw stuff on us. Joshua, that's not what he does. Look what Joshua says. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take the Ark of the Covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Now, I don't see in here, and I have an idea, he doesn't even tell them what's going to happen. He doesn't even tell them that the walls are going to fall out. He just says, go do it. Heard from the Lord, go do it. You'll find out what the results are later. Just go do it. Just trust the Lord. Just receive what I have told you. Joshua, this military leader, surrendered his own will, his own thoughts, his own talents, his own military strategies, and instead declared the will of God that didn't make any sense. The priest and the ark were never taken into battle. And he's telling them, take the ark and march around the outside. He says to the people, again, he didn't keep the word to himself. He delivered God's word to his people. He didn't just receive it in his own heart, but he delivered it to them. And you know what, guys? It isn't always easy or popular to deliver God's word to those entrusted to our care. Many, no doubt, thought Joshua had lost his mind. Let me talk to you dads and husbands. As a spiritual leader of your home, delivering what God has shown you won't always be received with open arms. How many of you have teenagers? 
or had them. Okay? They don't always want to hear what, they think you're out of your mind. Oh, he's old. He doesn't get it anymore. He just doesn't understand. You know what? Be faithful to God. It's not a popularity contest with your family. It's being faithful to God. The best thing I can do for my wife and my kids is be faithful to God. And sometimes it's not very popular with your spouse or your children. Now, always do it in love, but be faithful. Because that's what God is calling us to be. Be faithful to God, not popular with men. When there are great obstacles before our families in the area of finances or health or struggles in your marriage or you have children in rebellion, may we be faithful to exemplify the Lord to our families, lead by His Word, deliver it to our families, and live it out before them. Let them see the Lord in us. Don't say, do as I say, and then live contrary to it. Christianity is more caught than taught. It's more observed than jammed down somebody's throat. Live it before them. May we be found faithful. So overcoming great obstacles. Get your marching orders directly from the Lord. Share what God has shown you with others. Now it's time to put feet to your faith. Look at verses 8 through 14. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the Lord, advanced and blew trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. So, they responded with faithful obedience to the word of God. The priests were told to go do it. It doesn't even say here that anybody questions. It just says they obeyed. God told them through, their servant, through his servant Joshua, they heard the word and they went. The Ark of the Covenant was going with them. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of, of God. So when they looked at the Ark, they knew God was with them. We're marching around the outside of the wall. This is a mighty fortress. They've got soldiers on the top of the wall. They've got armor. But we've got God. Too bad for you guys. You're in big trouble. Because we've got God and you don't. It's a constant reminder of God's presence. As we walk in obedience, as we face great obstacles, remember you're not alone. You've got God. He's on your side. Now the word for trumpet here is interesting. It's not the silver silver trumpets that were blown to announce that they were going to march into battle. It was the shofar is the word here. It's a ram's horn. You know when they blew that? To celebrate a victory. At the year of Jubilee, they would blow it. So guess what? They're celebrating the victory and it hasn't happened yet. God wants them to know, the battle belongs to me. It's in my hand. I've already won the victory. March around on the outside doesn't make any sense and blow the horn of celebration over victory because it's about to happen. I've already won it. It's already taken care of. Aren't you glad that God already knows the future? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future and I'm glad that I'm on his side. Amen? We can panic about things going on in the world, or we can just trust that our God is faithful. He's in control. He knows what He's doing. March around the city, not declaring war, but celebrating what God was about to do. The Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Man, this was faith. They're marching around, blowing the, the horn of celebration, and the walls haven't fallen. The fortress is fully intact, and I'm not even convinced that they knew what was going to happen, because nowhere in the text does it say Joshua knew. 
We don't know for sure that they even knew. That's incredible. And they're blowing the horn. And Man, is God teaching them something? He's teaching them, trust me. Every time you go through a trial, God's teaching you something. He's teaching me something. He's teaching us, trust me. Amen? And we'll trust Him more. Verse 10. Now Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth, till the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So they're moving silently for six days, waiting upon the Lord, trusting God, putting feet to their faith. I think we can learn from that. Amen? Sometimes we need to be quiet. Instead of telling God what to do, we just need to be still and know that He's God. Amen? They marched for six days without saying a word. Just waiting on the Lord, looking at the obstacle. Wow, this is incredible. Wow, how in the world is God going to do this? Looking up and seeing the ark. Oh, that's right, God's on our side. Constant reminder. What six great days of resting and waiting upon the Lord. Verse 11 through 14. So he had the ark of the Lord circled the city going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then the seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continually blew the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Now, not only do you think about what were the children of Israel thinking, what do you think... The people in Jericho were thinking. You're standing up on the wall and they're marching around blowing horns. And you're thinking, what are they doing? Now they knew that the Red Sea had been parted. And they knew that the other giants had been destroyed. And, there, and Rahab had said there was fear in the land. And no doubt every day they were, at least part of them had to be wondering, is this the day it's going to happen? Standing on the wall, what's God going to do? Now, they had six days when they could have done what? Repented. They had heard about the greatness of God. Rahab repented. They could have done it, right? Here's the visible ark marching right around outside of the wall. It's right in front of them. Here's an opportunity to turn to God. God always gives that opportunity Man, God doesn't condemn men. Men condemn themselves by rejecting His loving hand that reaches out to every single one of us. Because He loves us so very much. The people of Jericho watched them. They heard the shofar, inciting both awe and no doubt great fear. As, and some may have even again taunted them. For the children of Israel as they marched, it took courage. Why? Because they were wide open for attack. It took endurance and patience because... Day after day, they kept marching and marching, and seemingly nothing was happening. How many of you feel about that about your prayer life sometimes? I've been praying and praying, and nothing seems to be happening. Keep praying. We pray in our time, God answers in His time. They're marching around. God already knew, seventh day, wall's coming down. God already knows what you're praying about, when He's going to answer it, how He's going to answer it, and through it, He's going to be glorified. You keep praying. Amen? Trust the Lord. He knows what He's doing. And again, through six days of silent marching, they had seen this great wall and no doubt it brought them to a place of desperation. And that's a great place to be. Verse 15 and 16, remaining faithful and obedient regardless of how great the obstacle. Trusting God to deliver in His time. Look at verse 15. 
But it came to pass on the seventh day, they arose early about the dawning of day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, they marched around the city seven times. Now, seven in the Bible is the number of perfection or completeness. And it's interesting that seven is very clearly a part of what's happening here. Seven priests, seven trumpets. Seven days, seven times around. For the children of Israel, seven was a big deal. Seven, seventh day was the Sabbath. Seven weeks between Passover and Pentecost. The seventh year was the sabbatical year when the ground rested. Seven times seven years, the year after that was the year of Jubilee when all debts were forgiven. So seven was a number that had significance to the children of Israel. Three of Israel's feasts take place in the seventh month. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of of Tabernacles. And seven, as I said, represents completion or perfection. The number seven in Hebrew is Shiva. And the word means, comes from the root, to be full or to be satisfied. On the seventh day of creation, God rested. Do you think this is happening according to God's timing or what? The seventh day. Not by chance, but by God's divine plan. It says there in verse 16, And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Again, he doesn't say, Fire arrows. Launch the catapult. He says, Shout. Lord, have you seen the size of the wall? What's shouting going to do but make him more angry at us? They'll throw stuff, right? You know what I mean? From our perspective. But he says, shout. After days of silent waiting came the shout of recognition that God would now give them what he had promised. And notice, they shouted before the walls came down. Shout! And then I'll do what I'm going to do. Shout! Because I've given the, the city into your hands. They shouted before the walls fell. They were rejoicing by faith. Again, not even fully understanding what's going to happen. Overcoming great obstacles. Give God the glory when the obstacle is removed. Look at verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are in her house, she and all who are with her in her house because she hid the messengers that were sent. Now, God brought the victory just as He said He would. God is always faithful to His Word. And we notice here that in the midst of Him bringing victory and bringing righteous judgment, that something else is happening at the same time. What is that? God's grace. God's deliverance. God is a faithful God who, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of a people who are hardened their heart toward Him, God is still faithful to reach in and take people out of these difficult circumstances. Look what it says there. Rahab, the what? The harlot. The people in Jericho, no doubt, thought of her as being lower than them. They looked at her and you know, didn't think much of her. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Her life had been transformed. She had hidden the spies. And after hiding the spies, she then acted more, did more, something else by faith as well. What else did she do? He told her to take a cord. You remember this? 
and hang it out of your window. Remember prostitutes painted their windowsills red. So when the cord hung out of the window, what shape did they see on the wall? It was the cross. And this is very much like Passover. Because remember at Passover, those who had the blood in the shape of the cross, the angel of death passed over and they were delivered. And so too now, as they come into Jericho, those who had the shape of the cross covering their home were delivered. Everybody else wiped out. But those under the cross were delivered. Praise God for His grace and His mercy. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you be accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Here's something else that he tells them to do. He tells them that as you go in and win the victory, God's going to bring the victory, do not fall into the trap of getting prideful. Don't fall into the trap of taking things from the victory. Touch not the glory. What he's saying here is, look, these are, there's idols in the land. And when you go into the land and I bring you victory, don't you then succumb to the very things that I've just destroyed. I've just wiped them out. And there's going to be temptation to reap of the spoils. Don't touch it. Don't bring the idols back. What I destroy, let it be destroyed. Abstain from it. Don't make it, bring it back to the camp or it will trouble you. And look what it says here. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Again, give God the glory. Give God the first fruits. This is their first battle in Canaan and all the spoils go where? To the Lord. Guys, we give God of our first fruits, not what's left over. First fruits of our time. Can I encourage you? Begin your day with the Lord. First fruits of your time. Not when you're laying in bed at 11.45 after watching every TV show you can watch and having a full day and pulling, oh, I better read a chapter. Pull your Bible out and, you know what I mean? Wake up with drool on your body. That's giving God what's left, amen? Give God the first fruits of your time. Give God the first fruits of your gifts. I'm working so hard I don't have time to serve God. You've got things all messed up. We give God the first fruits of our efforts, the first fruits of our gifts, and yes, the first fruits of our finances, because they all belong to the Lord. If you're new here, you know that I never talk about money unless it's in the text. I just don't. We don't even pass an offering here. Why? I don't want you to ever think it's about money, because it's not. It's about Jesus. But I also believe that you can tell a lot about where someone's heart is by looking in their checkbook. Because the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where we spend our money, what we invest in, shows us what's important to us. Where we invest our time, that's what's important to us. Where we invest our gifts, that's what's important to us. Where we invest our finances, that's what's important to us. And he says, guys, I'm going to bring the victory, but when I do, you make sure you get the gold and the silver, and you bring them and you put them to service for me. Don't be tempted that when I bring the victory, that you get the glory. That you get the wealth. Give God the glory alone, amen? He brought the victory, and he alone should be glorified. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. You know what that means? It fell out. If a wall falls in, it's not going to fall in flat. There's stuff in the way. So this means the wall just went ah, right straight out. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine all the people in there, you know, walking about their, some of them walking about their day, thinking, oh, we're, we're doing, it's not a problem. You know, some of those people are worried about the Israelites. We got a fortress. What are they going to do? And all of a sudden, <laughs> and here come the children of Israel, and there's nothing in the way anymore. The walls fell out. You know, it's interesting. Archaeologically, they've uncovered Jericho, and the walls fell out. God's word is always perfect. Amen? Amen. And God brought this victory just as he said he would. He's faithful to his word. And he allowed that. But I love this part. This says, Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So who did the work? God did. Who brought the victory? God did. But he let the people participate. And I like that. He wins the victory. He goes before me, but he lets me be involved. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Amen? He lets us take part in the work that He's doing. As we faithfully walk in obedience, we get to take an active part in God removing the great obstacles of life. And this is a a source of spiritual growth. Because when we get to participate in the mighty works of God, we can't help but grow. We can't help but have more faith. We can't help but be ready the next time another obstacle comes. When you go through trials, are you ready for the next one? You are. You should be. Amen? If you've never been through a trial, you're going to panic when the first one comes. But if you've had cancer and God's healed you, and all of a sudden now you've got got the flu, I think you probably can take care of that. You probably, okay, Lord, I've been with you, Lord. I've been hanging out with you for a while. You can take care of this. I'm not worried about it. Now look what it says here. We're almost done. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. You know what? People struggle with this in the Bible. God told them to wipe out everything. That's right. Let me ask you a question. Did God give them an opportunity to repent first? No question. He'd been giving them opportunities. Rahab repented before all of this happened. He marched around. He had the ark before them. Here's the opportunity. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Because the greatest sins of the Canaanites were spiritual, he told them, you cannot leave anything lest you fall into the same trap. It says in Deuteronomy 18, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of these nations. There shall be not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. That means it was happening in Canaan. They were sacrificing their children to false idols. He says also, there should not be found anyone who practices witchcraft. That means they were doing it in Canaan. Or a soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens. Or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations whom you shall dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Why are they being condemned? Because they listen to soothsayers. They listen to the devil. Right? They listened to the devil and now they're reaping the consequences of choosing to follow the enemy. So sometimes we look and say, well, it's just not fair. You know what? What's not fair is that God will let any one of us into heaven. 
That's what's not fair. But praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His grace. And in the middle of all of that, there's those who, here's the cross, here I love you, here, no, I'm following Satan, I'm following the soothsayer, I'm following the sorcerer, sorcerer word is pharmakia, where we get pharmaceuticals, that were drugged out, on drugs, soothsaying, passing their kids through the fire, prostitution running rapid, sinfulness, wickedness, rejecting God, and then judgment came. Now, God judges these types of cities. And what's interesting, sometimes he uses his people to do it, and other times, ask Sodom and Gomorrah, he does it another way. Rains fire down. You know, Billy Graham said years ago that if God doesn't bring judgment on San Francisco, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Billy Graham said it. I didn't say it. But the truth is, the truth is that God is merciful, isn't he? He's merciful. He's a gracious God. Lastly, trust God to do what is right. Look what God does here. But Joshua said, had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all she had. So they brought her out, of, out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Now here's the interesting part. Rahab and her entire household were saved because this one woman trusted God when nobody else would. Nobody else would. Amen. And do you know who's in the line of Rahab? Who's in the line of Rahab? Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of David. And this is a woman who was a prostitute in a land filled with idolatry and soothsaying and witchcraft. And that gives me hope for Santa Cruz. Amen? Because in the middle of the most wicked of cities, God can do a great and awesome work. And one person is worth it. And praise God, we got more than that in this room right now. And there's more people in Santa Cruz that love the Lord. And may God bring revival. And may He start in our hearts first. But again, she had hidden the spies. But also, she put feet to her faith because she stayed in the place where they told her to stay. She had the cross hanging out her window and said, I'm staying here. I trust God. Praise the Lord. That's faith. And again, like Passover, when judgment came, She was delivered by the cross. Verses 24 and 25. Look at the contrast here between judgment and salvation. Verse 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So all Jericho heard about the God of Israel, but only Rahab responded. Now again, it's not how much we've heard or even how much we know, but how we respond. Rahab heard and she responded. Rahab heard and she hid the spies. Rahab heard and she put the cord out the window. Rahab heard and it produced an action. It's not enough to believe that there is a God. We must apply the blood of Christ to our own lives. It's not enough just to believe that there is or know that there is. He's a righteous judge. He desires that none should perish. But look what happens. Look at the next verse. Then Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man 
before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn and his youngest he shall set up in its gates. Now, as we close here, you'll notice that Rahab was delivered while the city was destroyed. Rahab was delivered because she put her faith in the Lord and the rest of the city was destroyed because they put their faith in the world, in themselves, in the things of this world, in the devil, in soothsaying and omens. But now he lays out another warning and he says, God's removed this obstacle and if anybody tries to rebuild it, they're going to lay the foundation with their own children. Well, guess what? Being that the word of God is always perfect, in 1 Kings chapter 16, it says this, In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sechub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Joshua. You know what? If we don't listen to the Bible, we're going to face the consequences in it. We need to heed the word of God and trust that God. When God says it, that settles it. Amen? God's word says it. That's enough for me. I don't need 40. You know, people, it cracks me up. People say, well, that's only in the Bible twice. How many times has it got to be in there? cracks me out well that how can you how can you say that it's only in the bible twice god says it once it's enough amen and sadly they missed out they you know hey uh hello Hiel, you might want to read this verse right here because if you don't consequences and the same is true for you and i the struggles we have the trials we go through the difficulties in our home often it's because we've disregarded god's word We're just living our lives outside of His will, outside of His Word. We don't spend time in the Bible. We spend eight hours watching TV and eight minutes in His Word, and we wonder why we're struggling. We wonder why we're patting our life after the world instead of patting our life after His Word. May we seek first His kingdom and spend time in His Word. And then lastly, so the Lord was with Joshua, and His fame spread throughout all the country. Notice the difference. Disobedience, judgment. Disobedience, cursing rebuilding the obstacle that God has torn down, your family's destroyed. Walk in obedience to the Lord, and, you, and God is glorified, and you get blessed. The name of Joshua is magnified. Why? Because he obeyed God. He obeyed God, and Joshua was blessed. So this obstacle was huge. This obstacle was overwhelming. This obstacle seemed like something that could no way be destroyed. The, the method that was given to them didn't make any sense. How in the world are we going to win this battle? They trusted God. They did it. The walls came down. They grew spiritually. God was glorified and their faith was increased. That's God's design for every trial we go through, you guys. No matter how big it looks, sometimes we have to march around it for a while just to see how big it is so we'll know how great God is when it comes down. It needs to be beyond what we can imagine, more overwhelming than we can possibly think. So overcoming great obstacles... An opportunity for spiritual growth to be a godly testimony. Get your marching orders directly from God, from God's word. Remember you're fighting from victory. The battle's already been won. Share what God has shown you with others. Put feet to your faith. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Be patient to wait upon God's timing. Trust Him. He knows. Give God the glory when the obstacle is removed and trust and know that God is going to do what's right. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this great example of Your mighty hand. Lord, I pray for each of us. Help us, Lord, to have faith of Joshua. Lord, to trust Your Word even when it doesn't make sense. To trust Your faithfulness even when the obstacles seem overwhelming. Father, I pray that You would bring obstacles in our life, trials into our life that we might grow. Lord, I know it's a hard prayer to pray. Some of you are saying, not me, but Lord, I pray for everybody. Lord, bring those trials. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to be drawn closer to you. Lord, do whatever it takes to get our eyes on you. Lord, to see how great you are, how powerful you are, how mighty you are. Lord, we trust you. We know that what you will do is right. We know that what you will do will be for your glory and for our growth. So Lord, help us, Father God, to see trials from a spiritual perspective. Help us not to panic. Help us not to run to the world. But help us, Lord, to be desperate for you. Keep our eyes on you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that we're fighting from from victory. We thank you that the battle's already been won. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.